This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. time in months we uh come to you for this week's episode of the minor league baseball podcast maybe in a world where baseball will be played at a uh, competitive professional level sometime soon and uh even that with all the qualifications and uh and all of the hedging and everything feels good to to say and uh and we say hi and welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from milb.com the official podcast of minor league baseball my name is tyler ron sam dykstra in new york city uh hello sam Hi, Tyler. Yeah, it's it's funny to pivot to season preview mode this quickly. Yeah, not in that, such a weird way. Yeah, we definitely were prepared for this. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden we woke up and there was a season like Santa put a present under the tree. Um, it, we have been preparing for this, but it it's not like there was a hard date on the calendar. There were days that we thought there could be baseball. Remember that time when we all thought Fourth of July, we're going to welcome back baseball. It didn't great. quite work out. Yeah, didn't work out that way uh, for myriad reasons, as you all know. MLB and MLBPA were negotiating the financial ramifications of what it would look like to get to the start of the season. What they ended up doing in the end is adhering to the agreement they had in March. What a concept. Um, and there will be a 60-game season that will begin either July 23rd or 24th. Uh, but so now all of a sudden we go from, well, what will – happen when baseball is back to all of a sudden okay baseball is coming back what will that look like um what's going to go into that what are the protocols some of which we have answers to some of which we won't really know fully until things get warmed up again and guys start reporting to spring training camps in their own home cities uh, which will be a a new thing for all of us Um, but yeah starting july 1st Teams are going to get back together again, and we're going to have pitchers and catchers report for the second time in 2020. So that is uh, how we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show, and we are going to try to get to uh, a lot of the questions that we've gotten and uh, and things that people are still trying to figure out and parse and understand about um, how baseball will look in 2020. Um, there are a lot of uh, qualifications as we kind of started this conversation uh, pointing out. There are a lot of question marks. There are a lot of variables and things up in the air, and frankly, Nobody really knows how any of this is going to go for any sport. Uh, and I think there is one thing that is important to uh, to point out. Um, yeah, it's it's working right now in Taiwan. It's working in Korea. And it's working for the most part for uh, soccer competitions in, uh, in Europe. Um, all of those areas have done a far better job containing the coronavirus than the United States has done. And that is not uh, getting political. And it is not dragging this show into a, a conversation about something that you don't want to hear or don't want to talk about. Those are just facts and that's what's going to make it challenging for uh sports and for every industry to reopen so we say that to say 
Just keep in mind, all of the things that we discuss are contingent on uh, the curve continuing to go down in places where it is already going down, uh, trying to yet again flatten the curve or bend the curve in places that are now seeing record numbers of new uh, coronavirus positive tests and that type of stuff. There are so many variables at play here, and they bleed into baseball uh, as they bleed into basketball, as they bleed into hockey, college football programs that have reported and started working out again. We are seeing positive tests. Uh, We have seen major leaguers over the last couple of days uh, and major league organizations reveal that they have had players test positive uh, in the very city where I sit right now. Charlie Blackman, a multiple-time all-star for the Colorado Rockies, tested positive along with two Rockies minor leaguers uh, after working out of Coors Field. So there are so many things at play, and it is important for us to acknowledge that. The other thing beyond that is there is a plan – for Major League Baseball that needed to get sorted out first. Uh, We don't have official information as to what that means for Minor League Baseball in 2020 as of yet. But one thing we will discuss today uh, are taxi squads. We've gotten a ton of questions uh, and feedback about the taxi squad thing. Uh, We'll talk about that, what it means, roster sizes, who's on those teams, all that type of stuff uh, to the best of our knowledge and our ability. It's all kind of moving targets and moving goalposts at this point, understanding everything because there's so much to try to digest. But just something to keep in mind, there are a lot of very still at play here for uh, for not just for baseball but for the NBA for the NHL uh, for small businesses for everything there's there's so much still uh, that is up in the air so it's something to just keep in mind yeah and and this is something that we can take into our personal lives as well I mean it, it's one thing to say wear your mask ML- exactly thank you very much Tyler. if anybody wants to make that their ringtone you are more than welcome to do so <laughs> uh, or just a tone you have on your phone that you're just blaring as you walk down the street if you're someone totally who knows fine. me just make it the the sound for when i text you yeah there we go. well <laughs> i'm gonna update that now as we speak um but you know if you care about baseball if you want baseball to be back fully not just now and not just uh you know to to get this excitement going here you have to take care of it at home you have to take care of this virus at home and the best way you can do that is continually social distance continue to wear a mask if you are out in public i know a lot of places are relaxing certain measures but we still have to take care of each other we still have to keep that curve as bent as we can or potentially send it going down again in in certain areas here in new york you know it's it's been really great to see the way the numbers have gone down that's not true all over the country and i'm not putting us on a pedestal uh obviously new york had a really really tough time with this uh, in the early spring and and our numbers were more extreme than what we're even seeing now in texas and florida but the way you, you get to a point where we're not talking about major leaguers having to have lockers six feet apart from each other and we're not talking about fans not being in the stands is um you know continuing to take care of what's in front of us continuing to wear our masks continuing to keep socially distant uh and keeping the numbers from from spreading wide until we get a vaccine in which case you know then we can potentially go back to normal um this is a small taste of normal it's far from normal by any sense uh opening day will be great to have and it'll be great to talk about certain players uh and but the fact that we're talking about 60 man rosters is certainly different um there was a a twitter thing going around about the wet rag that now pitchers have to keep in their back pocket if they want to keep their fingers moist instead of being able to lick their fingers again uh baseball is going to be different just because it's back it's not going to be the same uh and if we want it to be the same quicker 
and potentially stay this way for the full 60 games for a full playoff run, um, we have to continue to take care of that at home. And that's something like Tyler said perfectly. We want to frame this in that way is it's great. Baseball's back. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. We have, still have so much to take care of, and this is not something we can just push to the side. Yeah, I uh, I have refrained from putting out a baseball is back tweet because uh, I would like to get to July 23rd or 24th and see the first pitch thrown uh, because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's uh, to just deal with it all in a, in a heavy sense of the larger context of the world. Um, so all that being said, I want to read a statement to you uh, that arrived in our inboxes yesterday. Quote, Commissioner of Baseball Robert D. Manfred Jr. announced today that Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball anticipates beginning its 2020 regular season approximately one month from today on July 23rd or July 24th. The announcement follows confirmation today that the MLB Players Association has accepted the health and safety protocols that will guide MLB's return to play, and the players will be able to report for training by July 1st. The health and safety of players and employees will remain MLB's foremost priorities in its return to play. MLB is working with a variety of public health experts, infectious disease specialists, and technology providers on a comprehensive approach that aims to facilitate a safe return. MLB has submitted a 60-game regular season schedule for review by the Players Association. The proposed schedule will largely feature divisional play with the remaining portion of each club's games against their opposite league's corresponding geographical division, i.e. East versus East Central versus Central and West versus West in order to mitigate travel. The vast majority of major league clubs are expected to conduct training at the ballparks in their primary home cities. That is the uh, the press release. There is so much that goes into this 2020 season. Um, Sam, take it away. There's uh, there's much to break down and discuss. Yeah, let's start with the expanded rosters. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff we could talk about from a pure baseball perspective. Um, you know, the fact that the East is going to play the East and the Central is going to play the Central and the West is going to play the West. It leads to some fun matchups that if we were just a Major League Baseball show, I would love to talk about. But, um, you know, from a minor league perspective, from a prospect based perspective, uh, let's let's talk about these 60 man rosters. Uh, the way it's going to start is teams are going to announce this Sunday or they have to officially submit this Sunday uh, their 60-man rosters, who is going to be eligible. Who, most of those guys are going to be placed on what's going to be called a taxi squad. Um, a lot of them are going to be placed in minor league stadiums that are close to the home city. We've heard some of these come out already. Uh, I believe the Cardinals will have players at Springfield. Um, some of these other ones, the Mets have talked about having players at Brooklyn uh just today apparently the indians talked about having players at lake county uh we'll, we'll keep these things updated but basically what's going to happen is uh they want to have guys ready they it's it, without minor league baseball right now and there's no announcement whether the season's canceled yet or not so you know we'll, we'll see how things are going to go but uh with no minor league baseball right now with no triple a to just call somebody up from you want to have guys fresh you want to have them working out somewhere um, but you don't want to have them in the same facility. So a lot of these guys will be working out in other facilities, theoretically close by. So if something were to happen, let's say in the afternoon, so-and-so could drive right up and, and plug right in, in the uh, for a night game or something like that. But the, the fact that these rosters are expanding beyond just the 40-man and it goes to 60 opens up some really interesting possibilities. Uh, we already saw the Mariner CEO say on the radio this afternoon that he fully expects Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert, maybe even Emerson Hancock, their first-round pick this year, 
to be on that taxi squad. Now, does that necessarily mean that they would be the first guys called up uh, to the majors? I, I'm not fully sold on that just yet, just because it's a heck of a thing to throw a Julio Rodriguez right into the deep water of the major leagues. Um, but at the same time, if you were the Mariners and you really want Julio Rodriguez to get developmental time, this is going to be it. Uh, you know, there's talk about maybe an expanded Arizona Fall League. There's talk of certainly expanded instructs this fall. Um, but if you want to get him playing time or at least workout time with your coaches, with the guys in your system, the best way to do that is to have them on this taxi squad. Uh, so some of these rosters could be absolutely loaded. I, I tweeted this out before. I'm going to be really interested to see what the Rays do with Wander Franco. Uh, we yeah. talked about maybe optimistically 2020, late 2020 would be the time we could see Wander Franco in the majors. Uh, you know, the Rays are a team that even in the best of times, even in the healthiest of times, they're bringing guys up, sending guys down, playing matchups, trying to f fill holes, make things work. Um, they are very rarely a set roster. Uh, so, Wander Franco is undoubtedly one of the best hitters they have in that system. Do they want to keep him close? And even if they never call him up, at least they can monitor his progress instead of what it's, what's happening right now with him working out from home. If you've listened to the show, we've talked to a lot of guys who are just throwing bullpens with people in their neighborhoods or um, taking infield practice with their dad, doing what they can to stay sharp. But it's a whole nother ball game if you're working out with the you know double A hitting coach or the triple A hitting coach at this 60 uh at this taxi squad facility um so we're going to be keeping a close eye out on uh, that um there's also talk about still service time is going to be an issue uh just because you're on the taxi squad your service time clock doesn't begin which is one thing to think about but uh you're still only limited to 60 players you don't have every player in your system available to be called up once they set those 60-man rosters i believe that's all the amount that's the the total amount of players you can call up that season. It's just those guys on the 60 man. Um, so having Jared Kelnick on that 60 man opens the opportunity for him to get called up, which is really, really exciting. Um, it doesn't sound like there's going to be games per se. Uh, it sounds like it's just going to be intra-squad workouts, you know, maybe some simulated bullpens, some live BP, stuff like that. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to say Jared Kelnick hit, 331 this year uh, in taxi squad play. We're going to have to wait until the fall league to really get that type of data back. Um, but it's going to open up a whole new way to follow prospects for us. You know, I've, I've had talks about what we're going to do for the site. We're still going to be checking in on taxi squads, seeing what these guys are working on. And it's going to be a whole new ball game for them. And it's going to be a whole new ball game from us following from afar. Um, you know, when we talk to guys about, what they're working on, they'll say, my approach. You know, I need to learn to be more selective, wait for my pitch. How do you do that when you're working in just a live VP? Like, how do you do that when you're you're only getting a couple, you're not getting quite game reps? How is that going to work? It's going to be fascinating. But um, I would fully expect a good amount of prospects to be named to these taxi squads here in the coming days. Um, there was also a, uh, a report, and I know that some has developed on this story uh, since this report came out this morning, 
Um, but there's a report from the uh, Nashville Post, and the Nashville Sounds have addressed this. Uh, the report from the newspaper says, quote, Major League Baseball and the MLBPA agreed to terms on a 2020 season on Tuesday, announcing changes that subsequently could affect the Nashville Sounds. There's a report originally coming from Jason Stark of The Athletic, uh, who reported on Tuesday night that the Sounds could potentially host MLB free agents at First Horizon Park in Nashville, with the players serving as part of an emergency pool for potential injuries or if players are lost to positive COVID-19 tests. Uh, according to Jason Stark's tweets, quote, MLB has been talking with Nashville about having two teams there of unsigned players, sources say. They would serve as an emergency pool. Uh, the Nashville Sounds did comment on this uh, and in a statement to the Nashville Post said, quote, Nashville Sounds Baseball Club has had discussions with Major League Baseball the, about the possibility of hosting games that would consist of free agents competing against each other at First Horizon Park this summer. We continue to have meaningful discussions with baseball officials and local health officials with hopes of playing baseball in Nashville in 2020. Um, an interesting concept uh, and something that obviously we'll be following. It would be uh, very cool if you were in Nashville and thought, man, I'm going to be able to go watch some baseball. Probably not the case, uh, but still uh, an interesting thing and also uh, potentially something that could get a, a career restarted for somebody who is looking to break in. You know, you look at these situations with guys, Yasiel Puig is still unsigned. Uh, we're in this weird stage where I think in the middle of spring training you start to see some of those guys get snatched up. Uh, that obviously did not happen with spring training having been shut down. So this is something that could be in a minor league ballpark. Um, it is not minor league baseball, but it is an interesting element of all this, too. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we just went through this a couple weeks ago. We didn't talk about it too much on the show because um, it wasn't necessarily too, too many top prospects and the draft was coming up. But there were a lot of minor leaguers who were re released re lately. Um, part of that was just the yeah. normal roster churn. Uh, you know, the guys get cut at the end of spring and that didn't happen this year because spring ended early. Um, so there wasn't that opportunity to cut certain guys who were basically quad A players. Uh, but this is the, their opportunity to show up again and, and show off. And I'm going to be really fascinated to see how this comes together. It sounds like MLB might be a partner, but it might not. So that'll be fascinating to see how that's going to break down. Even so, it's still an opportunity for guys to play. Um, teams have allowed scouts to start scouting again. So whether it's affiliated with MLB or not, these guys are still free agents. Um, they're still available to be signed. Uh, how that marries with the idea of these 60-man rosters and how you're be getting able to be added to those 60-man rosters and to the taxi squads, I'm not quite certain of how that's going to fit. Um, but it's a great opportunity uh, for for guys out there looking for jobs right now and hoping it, you know they were going to get a chance to play major league baseball only to find out it's going to be a limited 60 games this year there's still a chance for those guys what else do you think is important for people to to understand about where we are as we head into this it's we're about a week away from when uh players are supposed to report um to what is now essentially summer training instead of spring training um what do you think people should be most aware of as we go toward this next step um, I think one of the big things to follow, and we don't have any uh, indications one way or another of, of people claiming they're going to sit out, but Avery Bradley of the Los Angeles Lakers, I know it's a different sport, announced that he's not going to participate in the NBA uh, playoff situation that they're setting up down there in Orlando. Uh, which players are going to choose to sit out of this? Uh, part of the agreement was that if you have pre-existing conditions, if you can consider yourself at risk, uh, you can sit out, you can get your service time, you can get pay. Unfortunately, 
it sounds like if you try to use that for like a family member or somebody you're close to, um, you won't get those same benefits. And, and that's a worry. And there's going to be a lot of difficult conversations at the major league level for some of these guys, because, you know, we look at Carlos Carrasco just overcame leukemia. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be a really difficult decision. And I I really caution people at home to think about why people might sit out this year. Um, and what that's going to look like for major league baseball is the best talent going to be on the field. We hope so. We hope everybody stays healthy. You know, they're taking a lot of steps to make sure that, um, you know, once baseball gets going, that, the spread is not going to harm the season again. It's not going to break through in some way. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, you know, do both at the same time, whatever. Um, but some people are going to make some hard decisions uh, about whether they're going to be willing to play in the 2020 season and just don't hold that against them if they choose not to play. And uh, with that, we got a lot more coming up on this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, we'll hear from Benjamin Hill coming up here in a little bit. Really good series from uh, Gerard Goberto, who will join us in a little while to talk about some players who maybe you will see, at least a, a couple of them you'll almost certainly see uh, on fields sometime soon, taking part in uh, taxi squad games or maybe even uh, making the jump to the big leagues this year. Uh, a lot more to get to on this week's episode of the show before the show, but baseball is at least getting closer to being back. Benjamin Hill joins us next. As an official partner of Minor League Baseball, Nationwide's here to make sure you're protected for every pitch life throws at you. Visit Nationwide.com today to see how we can help meet your needs. Nationwide is on your side. Benjamin Hill joins us for uh, this week's conversation. Whenever I notice, uh, whenever I uh, edit our, our shows together, I always lead into uh, our segments and I count down. Three, two, one. And then my voice goes 19 octaves higher, and I go, Benjamin Hill's here to join us like I'm Jay Leno <laughs> in 1995. Uh, but hey, Ben, how are you? Hey, man, I, I like the high-pitch introduction. Okay, uh, the Jay Len- Yeah, the Jay Leno-esque uh, yeah, tone and tenor that, you, that your uh, voice takes on. I think you should ho- start hosting your own uh, headlines. Like, that was my favorite part of Jay Leno. You know, we did like the small town headlines. Yeah, I legit yeah, like that. You know, same. I was never a Leno guy in general. Same. I was. Uh, I liked the more sardonic wit of Letterman, but when it came to headlines, I was all about it. That is absolutely yeah, Tyler. Do you want to give us? Way. Do you want to give us one? Uh, have you guys heard of this one? Hey, folks. How you doing? Uh, you, you heard this? You heard this one, folks? Um, I uh, yeah. I will say I went through a thing last year, a phase of. I've always been really interested in late night TV, but I went through a, a phase last year where I read like a whole bunch of books about late night TV, and uh, yeah, you really were. I think. Um, I was uh, just on the the edge of this. Uh, like, I remember the fight between Leno and Letterman and who gets the Tonight Show. But it's crazy how, like, that era of society really were defined by are you a Letterman person or a Leno person. And I agree, never really a Leno person, always a Letterman guy. But I did like headlines. So I'm, I'm very – I identify very clearly with that. Yeah, some things are just universal. You know, it's kind of like America's Funniest Some Videos. Yeah, you might not actually try to watch it, but when you see it, you know it's funny. Headlines is funny. That is true. You know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, when you got a good formula, you got to stick with it. America's Funniest Home Videos, which uh, has been on the air for like thirty-five years, it is still on the air. It's madness. You is could it also really? been a yeah, it's still on the air somewhere. Uh, I was listening to a podcast last week about a different show. It's a whole thing, but apparently, it's been on the air like uninterrupted since like nineteen eighty-eight. 
Uh, I thought it just went yeah. away because of YouTube. Like, if right. I wanted to see a dad get it hit was in the, the face with a rake, I could just search that <laughs> into the. It was the forerunner to every viral video. It's true. It, um, it was, and it is still on. I, you know, again, I, I've been talking about the TV I've been watching in quarantine, and uh, just like it was when I was ten years old, America's Funny Some Videos is on Sunday nights on ABC, and uh, it was Bob Saget back in my day. Yeah, it was like yeah. one of my favorite shows. But these days, it's uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, um, ah, Carlton from The Fresh Prince of wow. Bel Air. Uh, yeah, and it's still the same setup. Ballparks. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He he came to different minor league ballparks and did the dancing Carlton. You know, got that appearance fee, but uh, he's hosting America's Funniest Home Videos. Still produced by Vin DeBona in the wow. credits. I always remember that name, Vin DeBona. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> America's Funniest Home Videos uh, still going strong. America, America, oh, this is you. Uh, we're going to just break down every episode of America. We're going to pivot this podcast segment to uh, just diving into episodes of America's Funniest Home Videos from now on. Episode 30 in 1992. No, we won't. We'll spare you from that. Uh, but Ben joins us to discuss uh, a couple of things that are up on the site and or coming to the site. And uh, one of them, we continue along with uh, the fun facts about each of the leagues across minor league baseball. And while there is not an America's Funniest Home Videos reference uh, in this story, there is a reference to NSYNC and just a glorious picture of, uh, of NSYNC all wearing Phillies jerseys. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in the Florida State League fun facts. Yeah, you know, I, thank you. I, I enjoyed writing this one. I, I've been enjoying these articles in general. Um, you know, writing two articles a week and kind of stuff is hard to come by. So I like having one article that kind of is a repeatable concept week to week. Um, and Florida State League, I was kind of surprised at myself because, you know, when I think about that league in general – um, you know, it's one of the uh, quieter, I hate to say more boring leagues, but it is a little more boring just because it's uh, mostly spring training complexes that the teams play in, uh, kind of a transient fan base, you know, or transplanted uh, fan base, you know, older, you know, lots of rain delays. Uh, but in writing this article, I was like, man, there's a lot of fun stuff here that I was uh, either, you know, uncovering or in a lot of cases just racking my own brain through my years of writing about this stuff. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, NSYNC uh, played at uh, Jack Russell Stadium, the former home of the Clearwater Threshers. They were then the uh, Clearwater Phillies uh, back in 1996. And, uh, you know, the, the NSYNC wasn't even famous yet when they played in Clearwater. And you wonder, like, and there's a famous picture of NSYNC wearing Phillies jerseys from that performance. And you wonder, like, how did NSYNC end up playing in Clearwater, Florida? You know, well, it makes more sense when you look at uh, Clearwater's GM is John Timberlake. And uh, he's Justin's uncle. Who, who, who would have known? Yeah. Yeah, I would not have had that so, in uh, minor league bingo. Yeah, so that that kind of crazy stuff. And, and one that I, I did just kind of find poking around, it, it you know, it's certainly a known fact, but, you know, I, I just had never seen it before. But, you know, I was trying to find something interesting about Dunedin, and I realized that Dave Steeb, you know, pitched for the uh, Dunedin Blue Jays, uh, in 1978, 1979, 1992 on a rehab assignment, and 1998 at the age of 40 uh, to begin a comeback attempt that did land him back in Toronto uh, after five years off from the game in 1998. So I was just thinking to myself, wow, like how many players, you know, appeared for a minor league team with two or more decades between appearances? <laughs> but there you have it. That's amazing. One of my favorite ones, Ben, and we messaged a little bit back and forth about this yesterday, but it was about the Bradenton Marauders. And I don't want to ask you necessarily about the incident 
long story short, a baby got born at, at the ballpark back when it was called McKechnie Field, and the baby ended up being called McKechnie. Is it McKechnie or McKechnie? I always get this wrong. I always, oh, yeah, McKechnie, McKechnie, McKechnie Field. It was named after an old ball player turned local resident coach. I can't remember his whole legacy, but I think it was Bill McKechnie. It's M, M small C, K E C H N I E. Um, but that's a really a ballpark that is now Lacombe Field. As Sam pointed out to me, I had forgotten its corporate name when I wrote the story. Um, but, you know, that's a, one of the oldest ballparks uh, for sure in minor league baseball. Um, not quite as old as uh, Jackie Robinson Ballpark in Daytona, but, uh, you know, it's been renovated a lot. But, yeah, baby was born at the stadium and uh, was later named after the ballpark in, in which the baby was born, a baby boy. And uh, the team gave out a kind of cool but truly bizarre bobblehead of, of uh, the team employee who helped deliver the baby, holding the baby up immediately after its birth. So, uh, <laughs> well, here's what my question was going to be, was if you could name a child, not necessarily your child, just any child, after a minor league ballpark, which ballpark would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, like fifth third? <laughs> <laughs> It can't be your firstborn child either. Fifth, got third, <laughs> hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Ring to it. Yeah, fifth, third, hill. I'm, I'm going to go for, <laughs> for that. Oh, man. Um, one of my favorite ones, and uh, it's a story that if you've been around the minor leagues for any length of time, you've probably heard. But uh, Michael Avalon, one of our writers, put a, a story together recently on uh, some of the weirdest and most memorable minor league ejections. And he told the story of, I cannot believe this is already eight years ago, um, but the then Daytona Cubs... Now the Daytona Tortugas. Back in 2012, they had an intern named Derek Dye who was handling music and sound effects uh, on August 12th against Fort Myers. Um, Brian Harper was the manager of Daytona at the time. He came out to argue a call. Derek Dye, the intern doing the music, um, played a recording of Three Blind Mice to refer to the umpires, and uh, he was ejected from the game by the home plate umpire who pointed to the press box and tossed him, which uh, I remember I was in uh, in AA working with the the legend himself, Mike Passanisi at that time, who was the, the lead radio guy in Altoona, and I was Mike's assistant. I remember Mike and I dedicated the majority of a broadcast to talking about this ejection, and that story never gets old. Yeah, it's a it's a true classic. I remember talking to Derek in 2012 after that happened. If you recall that incident, it went viral. Um, yeah. You know, he woke up the next day to just you know dozens and dozens of interview requests. Just one of those quirky moments that became a thing. Um, and you know, Michael Avalon had just written a story, and so it was kind of fresh in my mind. And I was just kind of like, let me uh, you know amplify this one more time, uh, since uh, you know it was just in that story, and it's just such a classic moment. Um, I'll have to dig for it. I'm pretty sure. I wrote a story in 2013, one year later, where I talked to Derek Dye again. I guess I was kind of low on uh, story ideas at the time, but I just did this story that was like Derek Dye one year after the ejection. Where is he now? <laughs> yeah, where is he now? But there is some uh, some great stuff in this story uh, about 
all of the uh, the franchises in the Florida State League, a league uh, which has been around at least in its first iteration since 1919, um, and uh, has always been in Florida, which is, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, how some of these leagues can get so wonky geographically. Talked about the California League and how that's all uh, contained in the Californias, but the Pacific Coast League has teams in the Eastern Time Zone. Florida State League has stayed true to its name. Yeah, 100%. And California League is true to California right now, but it did have a team in Reno for a while Ah. and very briefly in Las Vegas. But uh, Florida, I believe, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, because sometimes I do my best at the research, but minor league baseball is a tough world, as you guys all know, and someone comes up and is just like, well, actually, and I I appreciate that. I I try to be as accurate as possible. But as far as my knowledge and research goes, the Florida State League, going back to its first iteration over 100 years ago, has stayed exclusively in the Sunshine State. So hats off to you, Florida State League, for being super accurate uh, with your league name. And uh, before we let you go, Ben, you have one cool story coming up on Thursday that people can read. Uh, It's actually a Father's Day story, Father's Day being last Sunday, but a really cool event happened in Mississippi with the M Braves and one special homer. What can you tell us about that story? Yeah, I'm putting the finishing touches on this piece right now, but uh, it was the first ballpark event at Trustmark Park last Sunday, Father's Day, home of the uh, Mississippi Braves put it together, where um, 26 dads came to the ballpark, and they each had a 15-minute slot uh, to hit on the field. And you know there were prizes for if anyone hit a home run, they would get a luxury suite or a 12-game uh, flex pack of tickets. But then there was also prizes for uh, the longest uh, home run of the day, where you got a bat and a jersey. And the guy who won all of those things was the only guy who hit a home run uh, the entire time. 26 dads, only one guy could get it out of the park. A uh, guy by the name of Jeremy Williams, uh, who, when he was 11, in an accident on train tracks, lost his, uh, he had to have his left leg amputated at the age of 11. And uh, he still kept playing baseball, played collegiately, uh, just, you know, has a huge love for the game. And then there on this Father's Day with his 15-year-old son, who was uh, on the, over the PA system doing like play-by-play as his dad was batting. Uh, on his very last pitch, Jeremy Williams uh, hit the only home run of the day. And, you know, to me, it's the minor league baseball highlight of the year because there's nothing else going on on the field uh, or very little right now uh, baseball-wise. And so for this uh, guy um, who I spoke to and is just the most exuberant uh, guy you'd ever want to meet and just was just over the moon, cloud nine, whatever cliche with – um, you know, talking to someone like me, wanting to write a story about him with the local news segments that's done about him. I mean, just truly a, a feel-good story on how this middle-aged guy just um, all through his childhood, all through college, uh, to this day, you know, still loves to hit, still loves baseball, you know, still uses it as a way to bond with his family, and is still hitting dingers. And, uh, you know, again, in the absence of uh, actual baseball, I think this is the kind of baseball story that I hope a lot of people can get behind and enjoy and uh you know, just sharing a little of this guy's joy because uh, it's sometimes hard to find feel-good stories. And I always want to write a feel-good story that I feel good about. I never want to feel cynical about a feel-good story. And just let me tell you, I feel good about this one. And uh, I want more people to uh, to know Jeremy Williams and just see what a good dude he is. And uh, I hope that translates uh, in the written word uh, for sure. That's what I'm working on right now. Jeremy Williams, congratulations on hitting that home run. That is awesome. We were talking before we started recording. He's really the he's the minor league home run leader for uh, for 2020. 
bashing dingers out at ballparks that have not yet had, had uh, baseballs so far this season. We have seen uh, some other parks across the country start hosting some high school games, all that kind of stuff, and it is really cool to see activity uh, in stadiums because we miss it so much. But, um, yeah, it's a great piece. It's going to be up on the site. And uh, Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And uh, until next week, man, stay safe. What's the, what's the fireworks situation like out there with you two? Uh, it's, it's it's continuing apace, and the more people I talk to, the more um, I'm realizing that this story is now becoming almost a national story. Yeah, not just is. the fireworks in New York City, but fireworks everywhere. Everywhere. And, and with that, yeah, with that, the conspiracy theories are uh, out in full as well in terms of who is supplying the fireworks and what their motives are behind the supply. And uh, can't get into all that right now, but it's uh, certainly one of the stories of the summer here in uh, here in New York City, and in particular in Brooklyn. And uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know. Uh, it is obnoxious, but I'm enjoying it. Like I said last week, it just uh, it, these fireworks every single night, crazy loud. It just roots. It just makes summer 2020 that much more special. Yeah, what a year! Super cool. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you guys, and um, tune into America's Funniest Home Videos uh, Sunday nights <laughs> at seven o'clock on ABC. If you want to see some uh, stories from your friends next door, they never told. <laughs> This week, our minor league baseball writer spotlight. Uh, we find Gerard Gilberto, Gilberto again, who uh, has a really great series, a bunch of stories that are up on the site about uh, you may have a team who had a top prospect who you thought, oh, yeah, I haven't heard about that guy in a little while. And Gerard may have uh, shed some light on why that is with the Ready and Waiting series, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But first, Gerard, how you doing, man? Good to talk to you again. Doing well, boys. Good to hear from you. So uh, this series is is great. It's uh, you're covering guys who missed significant time in 2019 due to injury. They're on the road back, getting set, getting started in spring training, and then all of a sudden a pandemic hits the globe and everything gets shut down. Um, those guys, I would imagine, for more than than most, are chomping at the bit to be able to go again. Uh, and the difficulty in waiting through something like this, as hard as it's been for everybody, has got to be way harder for guys who are trying to come back from injury. But you've got uh, a series of pieces that are up. Tristan McKenzie. Uh, from Cleveland. That story ran today. Also, the Rockies' Brendan Rodgers. Um, Jordan Grosch is a 75th-ranked overall prospect uh, in baseball with uh, Class A Lansing the last time that we saw him. Uh, and Nick Allen in the Oakland organization. What's it been like talking with these guys? I would imagine there's a lot of, of introspection uh, with the guys who have been forced to sit out for so, for so long and now are, are forced to do it for different reasons. Right, yeah. The, the thing that kind of stuck out the most with all four of them is that this spring they were ready to go. It, this was, you know, sort of behind them. You, you asked them about rehab, and it's like almost ancient history to these guys because, especially to them, they really want to put the injury behind them. Uh, you know, I, I obviously you, you ask about the injury, how it happened, this, that, and the other thing, and first thing they want to tell you is I'm good now. <laughs> you know, like the yeah, yeah, this happened, this happened, this, happened, but I'm good. You know, uh, so they really want to put it behind them, um, but. As as they're like everybody else, you know that they had to wait, and uh, they're sort of in a spot where they're just sort of trying to stay in shape more than they are uh, rehabbing any, anymore. Obviously, there's some situations where, like Rogers, for example, he had the a shoulder injury. He's got to have to add a shoulder specific, be it stretch or workout, to his daily routine now, and and, and stuff like that. It's never fully behind them, but. It, mentally, it's it's well behind them, and it's the first thing you notice when you ask a guy about an injury. That they're not skittish about it, but they want you to know 
I'm over this. <laughs> and I want to specifically talk about this Tristan McKenzie piece. It's the latest one that's up on the site. It, it went up just today, I think, as we're recording this on Wednesday. You even note that it's been 664 days since he last appeared on a minor league mound all the way back on August 30th, 2018. He's gone through upper back strain, forearm soreness, basically anything that a pitcher can go through that's going to keep them off the mound in the last year. Um, you know, where was he in, in his preparation this spring? Did he anticipate being fully ready for another season? And um, as somebody who's p- previously pitched at Double A, in your conversations with him, did he feel like he was closing in on the majors, or what? What were his expectations for a 2020 season if it was normal? Right. So um, with McKenzie, like like all these guys, uh, a level to reach. Maybe with Rogers, the majors, obviously, because he's been there a little bit. Majors is, is more in his sights. But with everybody, their goals just get on the field. I, I want to play. I want to play. McKenzie, though, is funny because McKenzie, I sort of waffled a little bit when I asked him. Like, I, I think it was around, you know, March 15th when they shut things down, blah, blah, blah. And he cut me off. He said it was March 16th. He knew right away. <laughs> he was exasperated because he knew. Uh, uh, that was a day that he was – actually supposed to pitch in a Cactus League game. He was um, – it, it, we had that weird rain in Arizona, which I look back at it. It was the 12th of March, and last year, the 12th of March, was the only Cactus League rain outs as well. That was a little huh. strange. But, yeah, it's never supposed to rain in Arizona, but, of course, it does. Uh, back-to-back days for Cleveland. Uh, it was actually the Wednesday and the Thursday. And then uh, that threw their rotation out of whack to the point where he was supposed to throw Friday, and Friday was – like the soft closing that uh, we did for spring training where we didn't shut it down entirely just yet, but that Friday, Saturday, Sunday before March 16th, no games. And he was supposed to throw that Friday. Um, but like like I said, all these guys level-wise and, and stuff they need to work on, first thing they say is, I, I just need to get on the field. You know, uh, pitchers are a little different. They can throw live BP, but it's still game situation. It, it It's apples and oranges. It doesn't doesn't show you what you need to uh, see. And uh, just go back to, to Brennan Rogers because I think he is the top prospect that you, you spoke to as part of this. Um, you know, what was it like for him to have reached the majors and, and have gotten that taste only for it to be pulled back? Because I, I bet we wouldn't be talking about him in this case if he was healthy. He'd probably graduate from prospect him. It feels like we've been talking about him for years now, but even that's still delayed. He still has his rookie status. So what was it like for him to go through that shoulder injury knowing that he had finally reached the top level of the game? Um, Based on what he told me, uh, it it seemed like it was new for him. You know, he'd been hurt before, and he kind of, you know, like you said, you're champing up the bit to get back to the majors. Um, what he said was that he took a lot of the lessons that he learned from his teammates that were, you know, all-stars. You know, the Rockies are loaded with hitters there. Uh, you know, he said talking with guys like Aaron Otto and, and uh, you know, even David Dahl, um, Trevor Story. Uh, they really sort of gave him a sense of, of what he needed to do and what he needed to work on. And um, the other thing about it was he, he – mentioned to me that he knew he wanted to be smart um it's reconstructive surgery the shoulder this wasn't a stub toe um he kind of just had to stay at his own pace and uh he he sort of knew 
based on where he had been that he's in the team's plans you know we we I looked at other guys in the series like an Allen or Groshans that are very young um you know even McKenzie pitched in AAA but he's still young um but Rogers is was there you know he he knew where he kind of stood with the club and uh basically just wanted to make sure he was ready uh to get back and be the best version of himself just based on what he told me Gerard, uh Nick Allen was off to such a great start last year um, and I know he was uh, a guy who, you're in one of those crucial stages uh, of your minor league career, he was with uh, Class A Advanced Stockton in the Cal League. And um, to be at a point where things are going so well, all of a sudden you get hurt. He was tied for the Cal League lead in doubles. Um, it seems like it gives you so much perspective um, when you're, especially early in your career, when you're at a, a crucial stage like that, what was it like talking with him about, you know, the same sort of thing, you're ready to get back, you're ready to get at it, uh, coming out of what looked like it was going to be a pivotal moment for you climbing in your minor league career, and now we're in a this stage of halt. Um, what was what did it, you come away with from your conversation with him? Nick Allen was all business. Um, you know that that type of stuff wasn't didn't even seem to be uh, bothering him. He knew huh. that Beloit that first half was rough, but he also you know recognized something that he improved on that second half of Beloit in 2018. He knew he was playing well, but, you know, when he came down to it, all he really wanted to talk about with me was uh, hitting mechanics, you know, getting timing right, uh, working on his go move. He was big on his go move. You know, that seemed to be a catalyst for him uh, at the plate. And it's another one of those things where just get me on the field, let me show you. Um, and he, uh, he he was all business about it. He he, he was, his was one of those funnier stories because he uh, and I believe the Indians prospect as well, Trenton Brooks. He built a batting cage in his in Brooks's yard, uh, and that's one of those stories that we've seen. Um, I believe Andrew Batafrano had a story about uh, two pitching prospects that built the mound together, um, and, and that's one of those fun things that sort of separated Allen, not just the level he was at and, and the point of his development, but. All these guys have their different uh, quarantine workout stories that they're doing. Groshan's already had the home gym, but, you know, the the story with him and uh, Klofstein. So they're close friends who are highly ranking Blue Jays prospects and high school teammates together. They work out together as well sometimes, but Groshan says he's an introvert. He works out at the home gym in his yard. Rogers is at a local high school, um, and McKenzie's working out with uh, – celebrity there and, and Cressy Sports Performance Center in Florida. But, uh, yeah, that that's one thing I noticed with Allen is that that type of stuff didn't seem to weigh on him all that much. It was more just get me out on the field and let me show you what I got. Hmm. Yeah, and, and just to kind of wrap things up, I know you've, you've said this kind of at the top of this segment that – one of the things that binds all these guys is they just want to show it to everybody. They know they're ready, but they just want to show it. But in your conversations, what other through lines or threads did you find in, in talking about these guys or talking to these guys? Uh, because they are from all sorts of levels, but they all do have this experience of bouncing back from injury together. What are some of those threads that you realized in putting this whole series uh, together for the site? Um, yeah, so I had mentioned it a little bit before uh, with Roger's shoulder, and that's sort of a thing that everybody has now. Uh, as much as the injuries behind them, it still weighs on the routine. 
And when you ask guys, you know, say a guy's having a good week in the regular season, you ask them and odds are they're going to talk about their routine. A, a guy like Allen or a guy like Rodgers or any of these four guys, they're going to go back to their injury with the routine. It's going to be something that it's not affecting them, but it's going to follow them a little bit. And, and there might come a day where, you know, they don't have to do that extra work, but um, it is following them a little bit. So, uh, and, and it's that's something that you kind of, if you just following the game close, you see a guy back and you see him playing and you don't think anything of it. You know, if he's on the field, he must not be hurt. And even if they're not hurt, it's still something that they got to deal with. And that was something that I, I noticed uh, pretty much all of them had to deal with. Uh, even if it's not a full-on rehab mode that they're in in their workouts, it's it's something that uh, they have to deal with on a on a daily basis. Really good stuff that is up on the site right now. Uh, Gerard, you can find on Twitter at Gerard underscore Gilberto. And uh, Gerard, thanks so much for the time, man. Great. Uh, these are great stories and, um, you know, stuff that I think uh, a lot of people can probably identify with right now. And uh, and we appreciate it, man. Good to talk to you as always. Of course. Good to uh, hopefully have baseball back. This ready and waiting stuff would just be ready and ready. <laughs> ready and let's do it. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right, boys. Thank you. Before we get out of here uh, for this week's episode, one thing that uh, Sam told me to bring up in the first segment and then I forgot, (laughs) there is another topic that pertains to the major league season that has roots in the minor leagues, and that is the extra innings uh, quote-unquote tiebreaker rule. Major League Baseball in 2020 will play starting each extra inning with a runner at second base who was the last out of the previous inning. Um, This is something that we've seen in the minor leagues for the last several years, uh, at least discussed or implemented in the fall league or wherever. Um, Just started two years ago in uh, in full usage in the minors? Yeah, that was 2018, uh, so two years ago. We've gone through two years of this now of watching guys start on second base with no outs in the extra innings. Um, At least in my experience, I I, I tweeted out what I thought was – a pretty tepid take and ended up being a hot take by the end of the day that I think this system works for the minors. Yeah. Um, so many farm directors we've talked to or players we talk to or whatever, they get it. The whole reason of the minor leagues is player development. You don't need 15 in inning games, 16 inning games in the minor leagues because those just hurt arms. You never know what could happen right. at that point when the point is just to get guys reps they got their reps over nine innings we don't need it do it over 16 just to determine a winner the major leagues is about winning i mean it's about team success um and part of the thing i get implementing it just for this year because the more teams play the more potential there is for injuries and you know with these limited rosters and the minor leagues not currently going uh to bring guys up you want to limit injury opportunities so anything you can do to limit a game to 10 innings instead of 15 you should take advantage but i'm hopeful that this doesn't extend out uh to the major leagues beyond this year um you know you want to play 162 game season knowing every inning was basically played under the same rules uh to take that away just because you want games to end quicker doesn't quite fit. But for the minor leagues, it works. I mean, any minor league front office person we talked to has said it, it really quickens games. Um, it, it gets things moving. 
it gets fans involved because they immediately see a runner at second base and all of a sudden somebody's already in scoring position. Um, there are fewer bunts than you would expect. expect. Uh, I think there's a big worry out there that because somebody opens at, at second base, you're immediately going to bunt them over to third and give up an out. That isn't always the case, especially if you're the away team batting first and you don't know how big a number they're going to put up in the second half. Uh, I think it works uh, in some levels, not quite in the majors, but keep an open mind to it and see how exciting it makes the games because in practice, the people we know who've done it seem to have liked it so far. There is a uh, tweet today from the inimitable Minor League Stories account uh, at Miners Team Names, which is uh, run by Ted Haggerty, the fantastic El Paso Chihuahuas radio broadcaster. And uh, Ted did the work and found that of the 2,112 minor league extra inning game since the automatic runner rule was implemented 73 percent of those did not last longer than 10 innings um, which is really important so it's uh especially at the minor league level like sam said avoiding injuries and all that type of stuff um this year trying to get this this sprint of a season uh accomplished and and not extend stuff out beyond what is deemed to be necessary for 60 games um it's something that uh will be implemented in 2020 i'm gonna say i hope that it's a 2020 thing and nothing beyond but uh we will see where it goes from here um before we wrap things up uh our prospect fun fact presented by nationwide this week sam yeah, this one will will keep to the majors because we talk so much about uh, prospects reaching the majors and what kind of impacts we're going to see out of rookies at the top level this year. Uh, this fun fact comes to, to us through fan graphs, but just from last year. Um, the amount of plate appearances uh, by rookies, people who are eligible, still have their rookie eligibility for the entire year. So it's not like once you graduate from prospectum, you're – you're cut off from this list, but uh, the amount of plate appearances by rookies last year was 30,024. That is fourth highest all time in Major League Baseball history. There have been 149 years that are eligible for this list, and that's the highest since uh, 1890. Actually, I take that back. It's the highest since 1914. 1890 is third, 1914 is second, 1884 is first. So it's been a long time since rookies were given this amount of playing time. Um, obviously, that record's not going to be broken this year because there's just going to be fewer plate appearances over 60 games instead of 162. Obviously, we're entering a period now where some teams aren't always going for it and they're going to lean more on young talent that might not be fully ready and that's going to reflect in the standings, but young talent's getting more of a shot now. Uh, what is that going to look like? And uh, I'd be interested to see percentage-wise what this is going to mean. Like, let's say we know the Mariners aren't expecting to be that competitive this year, so are they going to give more at-bats uh, to rookie-eligible players like Kyle Lewis uh, or even a Jared Kelnick or Julio Rodriguez. We know Evan White's going to be their starting first baseman. Um, so percentage-wise, is this year going to be higher for rookies or not? Just because without the minors, you're going to want to see them get playing time. So something to keep an eye on. But just know that last year was the fourth biggest year for rookie experience in Major League history. Pretty crazy. Um, and we are hurdling toward we hope uh the start of baseball maybe a month from today maybe a month from yesterday as we're recording this on uh the 24th of june but uh keeping our fingers crossed that real baseball 
and uh, and a step back toward normalcy is just around the corner. Um, thanks to all of you for hanging out with us today. Thanks to Benjamin Hill and, uh, and to Gerard Gilberto, and you can find their stuff up on the site right now. We also have draft recaps. Uh, we've been going organization by organization through all 30 major league teams uh, and reviewing their 2020 drafts, the, the abbreviated draft in 2020, but what each team came away with. So we've got those up on the site right now, and uh, that'll do it. For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mott. We'll talk to you next week. Oh, 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 oh,